The past decade has seen huge progress in the way companies analyze their exposure to carbon emissions, but far less effort has been put into the broader picture of understanding the complex interactions companies have with nature and the risks this poses for investors and the health of our environment. If we're to have a hope of reaching net zero, we need to reverse the trends of biodiversity loss and incentivize companies to assess the risks and opportunities around natural capital. On the podcast today, we have the perfect guest to discuss this topic. I'm joined by Tony Goldner. He's the CEO of the TNFD, the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, an organization that was established to try and solve this very problem. The big news is that this week, Tony and his team have published the final version of the TNFD recommendations. It's a framework that will give companies and investors alike a clear and uniform model for putting nature on the balance sheet. And that's what we're all about here on the Good Future Podcast. I'm your host, John Treadgold, and I'm asking the big questions about the business of sustainability, the new economy, and how your spending and investment decisions can have an impact. Tony's worked at the helm of the TNFD since it was founded two years ago. He's originally from Australia, he now lives and works in Europe, and he's had a fascinating career that spans foreign affairs with DFAT, he's worked in global finance, he's been a consultant, and now he's pulling it all together to convene a mix of stakeholders across the globe and across industries. It really was a thrill to speak to Tony on such a big week for the TNFD. The recommendations have only been live for a few days, and so in this conversation I did my best to offer a broad overview of the final recommendations and practical actions to help us integrate them. And of course, this episode is part of a broader series that's exploring how we can shift our economy to be nature positive. So be sure to subscribe so you can follow along. And a company that's been central to the nature positive mission is Greencollar, which has come on board to be the sponsor of this series. Greencollar is a developer and innovator of environmental market solutions. They recognize the power of putting a financial value on nature as an incentive to drive sustainable land management, cleaning up our waterways and avoiding further loss of biodiversity and animal species. Since launching more than a decade ago, the company has become Australia's largest developer of nature-based carbon credit projects. And they're pushing the market forward with schemes like reef credits, which target improved water quality at the Great Barrier Reef. And their latest innovation is Nature Plus, a new form of biodiversity credits that aim to protect and restore ecosystems around the world. They're measuring biodiversity outcomes on the ground with a scientifically rigorous and verifiable methodology that puts a value on natural capital to enable investment in the conservation of higher value ecosystems. Reach out to the team at greencollar.com.au to find out more. All right, let's get into today's episode. You can find all the show notes and links on the website at johntreadgold.com. And that's where you'll also find the Good Future newsletter, your source of insights and updates about the world of impact investing. You'll stay up to date on trends, you'll get access to the latest podcast episodes, and you might just get an early lead on the most exciting and high impact companies and funds. So jump in and drop your email address in. All right, let's get started. I'm really excited to bring you my conversation with Tony Goldberg. Tony, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for giving us some time in what I'm sure is a very busy week for you. Yeah, thanks, John. Great to be with you. All right. Well, look, we're here to talk about the TNFD, 
the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosures. We're going to try and cover this new framework from all angles. But to get us started, what's the, the core problem that this, this task force, this framework is trying to solve? Well, I think there are two, two key challenges at the moment. One, we can't keep treating nature as an endless provider of free resources into business and society, which is what we've been doing for hundreds of years. It accelerated with the Industrial Revolution. It's accelerated with globalization in the last few decades. And it's quite clear from the science that nature is at or beyond its limits in its ability to keep providing us with what we ask of it. We've now breached uh, six of the nine planetary boundaries. We're seeing the consequences in terms of more frequent and more severe uh, natural disasters. We tend to think that we can, we can just rebuild and get through these problems, but the costs are mounting to economies, to society, to individual businesses, to families. One just needs to think about the scale of what we've seen in Hawaii as a recent example, what Australians have lived through in the bushfires of 2019, 2020. These things are happening more frequently. They're happening with greater severity. The insurance uh, costs are going up, which means the insurance premiums are going up and that, that, that's flying through our economies. So we have to get to a better relationship with nature in a way that maintains its ability to support our prosperity because we are 100% dependent on nature at the end of the day. There is nothing else. If there's no sustainable planet, there's no, no, no people, no profits, no pensions. So that's the first problem. I think the second problem more tactically is at the moment we've been very focused on talking about all this as climate change. We tend to bucket everything under the label of climate change. But in the science, climate change is just one of the five big drivers of nature loss. There are, there are four other drivers. And we've largely given them very little attention because we've been so focused on one of the five. The others are resource use, pollution, land use change, and invasive species. And we need to start taking a much more integrated approach because, of course, nature doesn't put things into buckets the way we do to make sense of things. They're all connected in one planetary system. So I think those are the two issues. We have to act with urgency. We need a new relationship with nature and we need to be thinking beyond just climate change. All right, big problems there. And we now have this tool, this very specific tool, a set of recommendations. But why, why now? I mean, surely companies are, are good at looking at risk to them. You know, they're going to be looking forward. They're going to understand certain risk factors that are material to them. Why do we need this uh, extra layer of analysis? Well, I think a few things have become increasingly clear. While we're all very focused on getting to net zero and through tackling climate change, I think it's increasingly clear to governments, to business and finance that we won't get to net zero if we're not also nature positive and that nature is a key part of our ability to actually get to net zero. There's currently no set of technology, man-made or anthropogenic technology solutions which will get us to net zero without using the natural world around us as our key ally in that fight against climate change. So as we've embarked on these ambitious global goals around climate change, we need to mobilize nature. And so I think that's changed the conversation around, well, how do we need to be thinking about nature differently to help us get where we want to go on climate change? Number two, Central banks around the world increasingly now recognise nature as a source of risk in the same way that they have identified climate change as a source of risk to our economies, to our financial systems. Just last week, the incoming 
governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia pointed to climate change as, as something that could potentially disrupt markets, financial markets. We've had the global network of, of central banks called the Network for Greening the Financial System published a paper last year pointing out nature and biodiversity as a source of systemic risk to financial systems. So regulators are paying more attention. And the third dynamic is that investors are now paying more attention because institutional investors who invest for the long term across sectors and across asset classes, they are increasingly realizing that they have nature risk on their balance sheet and in their investment portfolio, and they need to manage that risk. And so investors are starting to ask more questions of the companies they invest in. And that's really the purpose of TNFD, which is to put forward a set of recommendations about information that should be disclosed through standard corporate reporting practice so investors can make better better risk management and better capital allocation decisions. So that's what we're trying to, to contribute to. But I think there's this interesting collection of forces that are happening around this topic. Consumer expectations are changing, costs are going up, governments are paying attention, and investors are asking more questions. I think that's why this is gathering so much momentum at the moment. Gathering momentum indeed. It's a big week. The final report has just dropped after four drafts, I think it was, all sorts of consultation and discussion. It's finally here. Yep. What are some of the key points that you think will, will spark interest this week? Well, I think we've had a huge amount of market engagement. So one of the benefits of that was we just set out very much with the appreciation that we needed to crowd in market experience if we were going to have a shot at coming up with something that struck the right balance between the complexity of science on the one hand and the need for something practical on, for market participants on the other. So we've had huge market engagement. Thousands of people across markets around the world have contributed through pilot testing, through feedback, in focus groups. We've really run quite a unique process to develop something like this. And so there's, there's a lot of anticipation and expectation. People who've contributed are looking forward to seeing the final recommendations. They're now out. And we're already seeing companies starting to step forward and signal that they're going to start adopting the recommendations in their next reporting cycle, which is hugely exciting. And of course, that's exactly what we want to see happen. So I think, I think there's going to be a few things that happen in the next, say, 12 to 18 months. One, we're going to see companies start adopting the TNFD recommendations. Two, I think we need to address market knowledge and capability building needs, and that's going to be the next big focus for our work at the task force. We're going to shift gears now from designing the framework, which is done, to working with a range of partner organisations on programs and platforms that can help to build knowledge and capability around nature-related risk, because we recognise this is completely new for most, most businesses and most financial institutions. And I think the third thing we're going to see is probably growing interest from regulators. A lot of them are moving now on climate. We've had the new International Sustainability Standards Board global baseline standards come out. Uh, we've aligned and, and tried to be as consistent with those as we can to speed up adoption and make sure that there's consistency, conscious of the cost of all of these things to in terms of compliance. So that's in place. And so I think with the, with the baseline, the sustainability reporting baseline now there and TNFD out, I think we're going to see a growing, growing interest from regulators in, in what this looks like over the next three to four years. And it's worth bearing in mind that 190 countries signed on to the Global Biodiversity Framework in Montreal last year. This is the sort of nature equivalent of the Paris Agreement. 
And in that agreement is target 15, and target 15 calls for reporting of impacts, dependencies and risks, which is exactly what TNFD is now tooled up to do. So there is a policy ambition. Governments have indicated that they want to move towards corporate reporting on nature-related issues, and now the tools are available. So I think we're going to see growing government and regulatory interest in the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Okay, and and in that process over the past 12 months, people have been talking about the TNFD, this is in, this is not. They are recommendations, they're your recommendations. It's a voluntary framework. I can only imagine that there would have been heated discussions. You finally come up with, with the final document. Were there any changes? What were some of those last minute tweaks or, or key points that, that are of interest? Well, I think that probably the most important thing we did was we had the benefit of the ISSB global baseline standards that were released in June. So we've worked very hard to align with the language of the ISSB standards as much as possible. Of course, our original reference point was TCFD. In the last few months of our work, TCFD announced that it was closing down, that it was mission accomplished, it sort of achieved its objectives, and that that work was going to be carried forward by the ISSB. So, of course, as we look ahead to the future, it's the language of the ISSB and the standards that are going to shape corporate behaviour and, and reporting expectations. So the biggest thing we've had to do is, is stay true to the TCFD approach and the consistency with, with what they had developed, but start to adapt the language for the new ISSB standards that have come into play. So that was probably the most consequential and important thing we've done. And I think we feel, we feel that what we've come out with is very consistent with the ISSB global baseline, which is great. I think the other thing we spent a lot of time on is just refining, based on feedback from the market, our approach to metrics. What, what is it that's going to be measured? What are the metrics that sit into the heart of the framework? That was been a, has been a hugely complicated part of our work over the past two years. When we started out, we identified something like 3,000 different metrics already in use around the topic of nature and biodiversity. So that's clearly an impossible suite of things for business to use. And so we've taken a leading indicators approach and we had a lot of feedback in the last few months of the consultation process around whether we've got the balance right, additional metrics that needed to be considered, etc. So I think the two big things are consistency with the ISSB new standards and, and further refinement of the metrics were the two big challenges. That's it. Metrics is a huge issue. I'm really keen to dive into that. But before we get there, I'd love to get really clear on some, some terminology. You know, that's my focus often is this impact approach and, and looking at it from a communications perspective. You talked about TCFD subsumed into IWSB and TNFD following along there. But a key shift or addition is, is this double materiality approach, looking at not only risks to companies, but impacts to nature. So can you talk to us about, about how you've dealt with that? Yeah, so this has been a recurring and, well, I won't say contentious, but certainly lots of people with strong views. And what was interesting about this over the last two years is that I think a lot of people started out with an expectation that the TNFD would have to pick one approach or the other approach. We would either have to be for single materiality or for double materiality. And for us, it's not really our role to determine the materiality of, of companies that are reporting. That's for the companies to decide. And they do that based on a few things. They do that based on their own vision and values. Uh, some companies think it's important to report on their impacts, whether they have a regulated requirement to do so or not. So vision and values is one 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 factor. The second factor is the expectations of their investors. 
every company has to be responsive to the information needs of the people providing them with capital. And investors are asking more questions. And so that's a big driver of materiality considerations. And the third factor, obviously, is whatever jurisdiction and regulatory reporting requirements you have. So it's not really TNFD's role to be prescriptive, saying it should be one way or the other. But the reality today is because of the path that Europe has gone down with its new reporting standards, they have embraced in black and white law a double materiality approach. So from our perspective, we had to accommodate different approaches to materiality around the world. So the way we've handled that is quite simply that we're, we're not picking one or the other. We're enabling report preparers to use their own materiality approach with the TNFD guidance and tools that we've put forward. So for us, it was about coming out with a set of recommendations and an approach that enabled their choices and their needs rather than us prescribing one approach as opposed to another. So I think we've done that. As I said, we've worked closely with the ISSB to make sure it's consistent with the global baseline. We've also been working closely with GRI, who provide the world's impact standards with thousands of companies around the world using the GRI impact standards. And also with EFRAG, the, the entity in the European Union that was designing the European approach. We've been talking with them, all of them for the last 18 months as we've designed our recommendations and we're very confident that what we've come out with works in both directions. And so it's up to companies to decide what they need and, and take from our framework what's required to do their reporting. You're being very diplomatic there. I mean, these are recommendations. You, you have yep, you know, made judgments right. and you're saying this is, this is the way to drive those outcomes. And as you talk through those really big chunky problems up front of too many businesses not recognizing the limited stock of, of nature, biodiversity loss is opening the world to huge risks from businesses off to the very air and water we depend on. And the, these words, risk, impact, dependency, they get bandied around a lot. Businesses more and more in Australia, especially really aware of greenwashing. So how have you dealt with defining these terms, risk, and impact. Yeah, so we're very clear that in order to understand your risks and opportunities to the company, you have to understand your impacts and dependencies on nature. And we use those words very intentionally and only in one direction. Sometimes people refer to risks to the business or risks to nature. That can be confusing. They also talk about impacts on nature and impacts on the business. Mm. So in the TNFD guidance, we're very clear we use impacts to mean impacts on nature and risks to mean risks to the business. And the absolute sort of bedrock of the TNFD approach is that you can't understand your risks and opportunities if you haven't understood your impacts and your dependencies. Mm. So whether or not you're disclosing information in both directions that's a separate question. But from an assessment perspective, what you need to be doing internally in your company to understand your nature-related issues, you have to understand your impacts and dependencies in order to understand your risks and opportunities. So you've got to work through this process across those four, those four key building blocks of the analytic process, impacts, dependencies, risks and opportunities. And we provide a set of guidance on how organisations can do that in a fairly structured way, and we've, we link up to tools that can help them do, to do that, to data sets where they can find data that's helpful. So we're very conscious that this is a new topic. It's a new assessment approach. It can feel quite complex. But somebody said to me the other day, nature is complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And so what we're trying to do is provide a set of guidance which 
takes the beautiful complexity of nature and makes it accessible to business and finance and provide them with tools to go through a sort of stepwise assessment process so they can figure out what's relevant and potentially material to them. And I hope that's what we've achieved. I think a key concept that's interesting, I mean, the world, my listeners understand ESG, they understand carbon risk. We've all spent a decade trying to measure our emissions. But this idea of dependencies, I think, is a really interesting one. And and while there's a free rider benefit from polluting and not worrying about it, when, when others are trying to be leaders and, and reduce it, I think this dependency on nature is an interesting one because there may be companies that face a risk because the fresh water or the pollination from the bees or the, the quality of the soil has just been something they've depended on. But now their investors are saying, hang on, we want you to start putting some data behind this. We want to understand right. those dependencies. So, so it is quite a different paradigm. How does that play into metrics and, and how has that, I guess, swayed what you've recommended? I think you're right, John, that the big new word in, in the nature risk assessment space is dependencies. We haven't been using it in the climate context, but it's absolutely central. Dependencies is the pathway to risk to the enterprise. And so it's really important to go back and basically start, I think every company should be, if they take one thing away from the launch of the TNFD this week, I would encourage every business executive who's heard about TNFD is interested in it, go back into your organization and just ask your team one question. How are we dependent on nature? And that one question will then trigger, hopefully should trigger, a whole series of questions, some useful analysis, and some pretty revealing insights around potential sources of risk that, frankly, most businesses are not identifying today. And in terms of the metrics, what's important is that you have to go back and think about what is it that nature is producing that provides a flow of benefits into our business. And in the science, that flow of benefits is called ecosystem services. And there's actually a nice taxonomy of ecosystem services. There's about 25 of them, so they're, they're identified. That means we can address them and analyze them one by one and say, what's relevant to my business? What kind of data and metrics do I need to be gathering to do an assessment? And we lay all of that out in our, in our guidance. But the key thing is understanding that nature's assets, its rivers, its forests, you know, the soil, they produce a flow of benefits into business, the provision of fresh water, and bees who pollinate our agricultural crops, a supply of biomass, the, the wood that we use for furniture and paper and everything else. This is the flow of benefits that come into our business processes. And, and so business needs to understand what are they that, we, that we're taking for granted. We're usually not pricing them appropriately at the moment. Some of them indeed are free. Even the supply of good, clean air in inner city areas, we've seen what happens in places like Singapore and China and other parts of Asia where there's terrible smog and people end up having to stay at home because they can't get to work because it's unhealthy to go outside. That impacts on the productivity of, of a business. Similarly, beverage companies uh, are completely dependent on, on nature's ability to provide them with a, a supply of water. So they are spending a lot of time looking at water quality and, and, and the resilience of a particular watershed to restore the level of water and its ability to provide that flow year in, year out. So we outline how, how you can go about thinking about ecosystem services and we provide a set of metrics around that. Now, the real complication 
comes in where in order to do that well, you obviously have to have an understanding of what's the state of nature in a particular location where I draw that flow of benefits from. And the science around state of nature is still evolving and so is the metrics. And so I think this is really the piece that we're going to be spending a bit more time on in the next year or two with science organisations is how can we make it easier for business and finance to understand the state of nature in a particular location where they have a dependency. Because without that reference point, you don't know whether you're withdrawing too much water today and maybe amplifying your risk tomorrow. That's some really, really great practical advice there, Tony. Looking forward, you know, the data needs, there's already a whole slew of, of, of new startups that are, that are building new tech, exciting companies on the way. But then, you know, and I think, look, it's such a, a positive outcome. There's been so much energy behind this. We finally have investors and businesses becoming environmentalists and conservationists and, and these worlds are colliding and it's exciting. But to, again, zero in and, and maybe rather than looking five years ahead, thinking this week, talking to those heads of sustainability out there that might be hiding under their desks as, as they know there's another framework they have to digest. <laughs> What advice would you give them in terms of, of what to do this week and, and how to think about this new frontier? So I think it's really just a matter of starting that inquiry process with that very basic question that I mentioned before, you know, how are we dependent on nature? That one question is really the door opener. And you'll find on our website and lots of other sources out there, some pretty good accessible material just to, to get into the conversation, to start learning the basics. And then I think it's about building from there. And maybe that leads to pilot testing our, our assessment process, which would, we would recommend. We've had amazing feedback from the 200 plus organizations that have done a pilot test. And for many of them, it's really reframed the relative importance of nature risk versus climate risk. Of course, everyone's been very focused on climate risk, but un until you know what else you have to be looking at, you don't know how it fits in the relative scale of your risk register. But we've had some of the world's biggest consumer goods companies telling us, wow, we, we just did a leap assessment. And we now realize we've done some order of magnitude quantification of the risks that we identified. And it's coming out higher than our climate risk. So it's changing the way we think about where we've got to be spending our time. And you mentioned quite rightly, John, everyone's got capacity constraints. They've got budget constraints. There's a million other things to do. But we can't escape from the reality that nature risk is on balance sheets, in cash flows and in investment portfolios today, which means those risks are being unattended to until we get the tools in place and people start exploring and looking at it and then taking action. So it's really about prudent risk management. In many ways, it's no different than responding to, say, cyber risk or any other type of risk. We've seen business spend millions of dollars on, on, on cyber risk in the last 10 years. We need to think about nature risk in the same way. So I'd say start reading, get started, join the TNFD forum and maybe consider a pilot test of the framework. And of course, you mentioned LEAP. That stands for Locate, Evaluate, Assess and Prepare. That's our assessment approach that's been pilot tested about 200 times. And as the acronym suggests, it starts with understanding where your business is interfacing with nature. What's, where's, where's, where are those things located? Could be in a sector portfolio for a big institutional investor, or it could be in a geographic location, either with, with respect to a company's direct operations or along its supply chains. But it all starts with locating where you've got nature risk associated with your business. And then 
in many respects, the rest of the assessment process is quite similar to what companies would be doing today on other risks. Well, that's right. And of course, risks and opportunities exist whether you evaluate them or not, right? They're going to, it'll catch up with you eventually. And if that's you're right. Yeah. Mover, then the opportunities are yours for the taking. Yeah. And we haven't talked much about the opportunity side of the equation, but mm. we're definitely seeing a lot of companies that are showing interest in TNFD are doing so not because they're sort of thinking, oh, here's another compliance exercise that I have to get ready for. I better start learning. Mm. They're actually coming to us from the opportunity side of the equation. Uh, we've got about a $700 billion funding gap annually to address nature loss. And of course, governments can't provide that funding. The private sector has to come on board to help find the solutions and provide the financial capital. And that means huge amount, huge opportunity ahead for first movers, for innovators, and for people working in structured finance. And I've said previously, I think this is a particularly unique opportunity for Australia, given that we're a mega diverse country and and we've also got incredible depth of experience around structured finance for things like infrastructure. Mm. So if we think about nature as infrastructure and we start financing it the way we've been funding toll roads and highways and other things and ports in Australia, Australia could really become a world leader in, in scaling nature-based solutions. As I think it through, that, that really does come back to the dependencies piece, right? Because if you're just focused on emissions, there's such a free rider benefit to not doing anything because right. there's so many benefits to not having to pay for your pollution yeah. with nature you can't get away from your dependency because if you overuse it and exploit it it's just not going to be there anymore the soil just won't keep providing for you yeah that's right with emissions we all share globally one atmosphere so australia can keep polluting but we benefit from less pollution from others or less mm -hmm. emissions from others but nature-related issues are localised. As you said, you can't get away from dependencies and you can't get away from locations. So Australian business, the, the construct of the Australian economy is incredibly nature-dependent. So we've got everything to gain by getting onto this agenda quickly and being an early mover and a lot to lose if we're a laggard on responding to nature loss because Australian economy and the prosperity of Australians is so tied to our natural environment. But of course, COP15 in Montreal, you mentioned it earlier, a real watershed moment, landmark agreement around the global biodiversity framework. And in the same way that net zero by 2050 was a, a goal and a term that everybody could grab onto, we now have this nature positive ideal, trying to protect 30% of nature by 2030. What impact does that agreement have? And I guess, how much interaction did you have with sort of the proceedings? I think the global biodiversity framework obviously is not quite as high profile as Paris, but many people are calling it the Paris equivalent for nature. And certainly I think that's right. As you said, it sets a set of targets and goals out to 2030. The bad news is that there was a, a previous set of targets and goals for the preceding 10 years called the Aichi targets, and the world failed to meet almost all of those targets. So we don't have a great track record of sticking to these commitments. Mm. But 190 governments have committed, and I think we're now in a very different place than we were even a few years ago on understanding nature and nature-related risk issues and the need to take more concerted action. So I'm optimistic that there's a lot of momentum now around this, and we were not obviously directly involved in the negotiations, that's between governments, but we were following, following proceedings carefully. In fact, one of my co-chairs, Elizabeth Marema, was running the process. She, she has two hats. 
She was she was in charge of this the Convention on Biodiversity Secretariat that managed the COP15 process while also being co-chair of TNFD. So it was an amazing experience to watch her navigate international diplomacy on nature and get the agreement done. But I think now we have it. We've got a clear sense of direction. The goalposts are pretty clear now, as they are with climate, with through the Paris Agreement. So it's all about buckling down, getting the work done for business and finance. Target 15, it calls for corporate disclosure of impacts, dependencies and risk, and TNFD now provides the tools to do that. So for all those companies out there that want to be Paris aligned on climate, I think the new term will be Montreal aligned on nature. And the goals and targets are clear. TNFD provides the tools to do it. And I think it's a really empowering statement for business to show that they're taking action, not just on climate aligned with Paris, but also on the rest of nature aligned with the goals from the Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. And Tony, getting a bit more personal now, what what got you to this point to to be leading this this ragtag bunch of nature-focused investors and, and business leaders you're from Australia originally, you're living in Barcelona now. Can you give us a bit of background of, of how you find yourself here? And do you wear more the hat of the environmentalist or more of the investor? What's the, where, where's the weighting in your background? Well, I've got quite a diverse background from having worked in government on policy issues with the Department of Foreign Affairs in Canberra at the beginning of my career. I then moved into corporate finance. So I sort of have some sense of discounted cash flows and valuation models and things. I was working on public-private partnerships in Australia 20 years ago when everyone was talking about toll roads and airports and things like that, which has been a huge source of helpful knowledge in this task. And then I've spent the last 15 years or so in management consulting, advising clients around the world on complex challenges at the intersection of government, business and finance. So I've always run towards these big, complicated, hairy challenges like this, like orchestrating these multi-sector sort of initiatives. So that for me was really an interesting challenge in this in this exercise. And I had been doing a lot of work for, I guess, 20 years. My, all of my career has been focused in one way or the other on development challenges and economics and the intersection of policy and business and finance. But I, I increasingly started to drift probably four or five years ago towards more of the environmental SDGs rather than the other SDGs. And so I just think there's huge, exciting opportunities to transform the way finance, business and policy interact to solve some of the world's problems. And this was a great challenge and a great opportunity to contribute. So that, that's what drew me into this task. But maybe a bit like a moth to a flame, I'm not, not so sure it's been... It's been a pretty a pretty intense two years, but I'm delighted to see the recommendations now out and looking forward to the challenges ahead. That's it. Look, I think I think we share a background in Canberra. It is funny, the Canberra connection of, of, of a certain, I guess, focus on recognising where power is in terms of politics and finance, but also appreciating nature and, and the trees and, and trying to bring them together. Yeah, and I'm also, I'm also really thrilled that Australia has been one of the top four markets of engagement in the TNFD process globally, alongside the UK, the US and Japan. So as a, as a proud Aussie, I'm really delighted that we've had so much interest from Australia. As I said before, as one of the world's 17 mega diverse countries and only two that are OECD developed economies, the other one being the US. I think this is a unique opportunity for Australia to lead the world in taking action, scaling solutions 
And so I'm particularly looking forward to seeing how Australia embraces the TNFD, how parts of our framework can be taken and, and mobilise action in other related areas on the nature agenda. The government's just announced that nature repair market is getting started and CFD adoption is coming through regulation. So I'm hoping to see Australia really sort of accelerate. And I think we've got a great history of pulling together different strands and capabilities and showing global leadership. I mentioned our global leadership in structured finance around infrastructure. You know, I think that's genuinely a, an area of global expertise that Australia's built. And it's something that we need now on this nature challenge. So I'm also looking forward to opportunities to, to watch and follow Australian progress and hopefully find a way to contribute, even though I've been overseas now for a long time. That's it. Oh, Tony, thank you so much. This is, this is an incredible sort of output, a really exciting moment, a uh, real cause for optimism. Opportunity is there. We'll, we'll wrap this up. I need to let you go, but you know, appreciate what you talked about at the beginning where ESG was, the E in ESG was always really just ended up being emissions and carbon and climate change. A big C instead of an E. Yeah, exactly. But now you, you guys are filling the gaps. We need to recognize the, the importance of the environment and that it's, you know, it's not just another add-on to climate change issues. It really does sit above nature. It is essentially everything and we depend on it for everything we do. So this is a really exciting process and the momentum's strong. So that's excellent. I will let you go. But before I do, can you please give us a book recommendation? I'm not sure if you've been reading a lot. Maybe you've been depending on it. But if you, if you had something help people understand the world of nature that would be great or even if it's just a good page turner on the side table so one book i'd recommend is ministry of the future by kim stanley Rollinson. fictional read based on incredible research about the state of the world today and i think it's a really fascinating sort of peer into the future about what might be coming and the level of research the meticulous grounding of the story in today's reality and looking ahead, I think is a real provocation. And uh, I, I found it a really, really fascinating read. That's it. Incredible book. Paints a, a rather disturbing dystopia that when he wrote it seemed not, not the distant future, sort of the near future, but that opening scene in India with the temperatures reaching, you know, hot, hot bulb temperatures, I think was the, the term and lots of people dying and then this this whole crisis and I think I turn on the news now and they use this language and I'm like hang on this is this is yeah. coming true now yeah no that's right and you know a big part of mobilizing people to action is incredible storytelling and we're going to need a whole army of great communicators on nature in order to catalyze the kind of scale of action that's required I remember Al Gore after his famous movie started training people on how to communicate the, the science and climate change and the need for action and books like Ministry of the Future and others are hopefully going to be part of triggering the need for everyone who's interested and passionate about this, whatever they're doing in business or finance, to, to get out and advocate for others to also get on board because that's what we're going to need to, to move the needle in this problem. I like that, Tony. That's what I'm all about. That's what the Good Future podcast is about. That's what my business is, as an impact consultant is all about. So yeah, I echo all of that sentiment. And look, thank you for this. Thank you for all your work, for providing these recommendations to the world. And, and everyone's going to have a big week trawling through it. So just the beginning. Let's go. Yep, absolutely, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony.